Certainly, I'm not going to read this as being about Jesus. One can interpret it as being about Jesus, but that's not to say that the text is inherently about Jesus. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education, and Abdul Rahman Malik, associate research scholar and lecturer in Islamic studies. They're discussing Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, which is appointed for the baptism of the Lord in year A. Here's the text. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. When you see the language, here is my servant, uh, what comes to mind? I mean, honestly, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the the Messiah, and and through my Muslim belief and and sensibility, I'm thinking of, of, of Jesus. And, and this being some kind of prophecy about or premonition of the personality of, of, of Jesus and, and, and him having the role of Messiah as, as he does, of course, in the, in the Christian tradition to which we're speaking with and to today, but also within, within the Muslim tradition, which takes that messianic character of, uh, of, of Jesus on. I would also say, though, that I think often the, the Hebrew Bible and the, and the Gospels are also read through Muslim sensibilities around the Prophet Muhammad. And, and there are many passages of the Bible which were taken by Muslim exegetes, classical and contemporary, to indicate Muhammad's prophetic mission and 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 message and, and as, as I'm reading uh, these 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 words and and particularly the the uh, the emotive 
and and powerful descriptive language. I too am am am, am sort of reminded of Muhammad, and and I think there's many things here that 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 to me remind me very clearly about a kind of a Muhammadan character, particularly this beautiful phraseology about he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. There's a there's a gentleness in Arabic. We would say a lutuf, right? That that, that the prophet is latif has a, has a gracefulness and a gentleness that I think is indicated there, and that certainly speaks to my my uh, religious sensibilities. Uh, Joel, how do, you, how do you read the concept of of servant in these in these in this passage? So, I mean, I should say, you know, I'm also by virtue of context and culture, you know, it also is inflected to me messianically. It's hard. Everybody, everyone knows that the Isaiah, that, that we call the servant songs in Isaiah are messianic. And it's okay to say um, that, you know, for uh, Christians, that is therefore obviously transferred to Jesus. And for Muslims, it's attached to Muhammad in, you know, in a sort of piggyback, is piggybacking way? Yeah, something, yeah, something like that. And, I, you know, in Judaism, which is, you know, which had the idea of the Messiah before the Christians did, I think that these also would have been read messianically. But as a as a biblical scholar, uh, as a biblical scholar, I am averse, certainly I'm not going to read this as being about Jesus. One can read this text in light of Jesus, or one can interpret it as being about Jesus, but that's not to say that the text itself is inherently right about Jesus. But I also, I tend, and this is, this is also part of the Jewish reading tradition, but uh, I think it's also a reasonably uh, well-founded sort of critical uh, approach also, is to understand the servant in certainly most of the Isaiahic uh, servant songs as being not some, uh, not an individual future messianic figure, but being Israel. And it's not uh, super apparent in this one, but it, it is in, in others. There are places where Isaiah simply says, Israel, my servant, or my servant is Israel. And and those sort of, sort of tie some of these together, but it makes it pretty outrageous amount of difference as to how this passage is read mm-hmm. if we change it from a, mess- a messianic individual of any stripe to the the people of Israel. So I, you know I would I would point to some of some of this language especially here in the in the first half of the of the reading um about bringing forth justice to the nations uh establishing justice on earth uh, that's a lot of those have in the, in the first half and then uh later in the second half we get the I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations to open eyes that are blind. That to me, that to me ties in really nicely with biblical understandings of uh, going all the way back to Abraham, about whom God says, right, I'm I, I'm trusting Abraham. I'm giving Abraham my covenant. I'm giving Abraham my promise. He will, Abraham will teach the nations. A, the, the nations will bless themselves by Abraham and his descendants. Mm-hmm. That to me is what's, is, is what's being alluded to here. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations to open eyes that are blind. It's the notion that when people see, when the other peoples of the earth see Israel, see Israel establishing justice, acting justly, see Israel being loved by God, that will be a model for them, right? That's, that's the light to the nations is you, is their, is Israel's existence and, uh, 
I, I find your your reference to, to to the personality and character of Abraham really resonant because uh, because the in the in in the Quran, Abraham is called an an ummah, a nation unto himself. And that's an incredibly powerful idea that that a, a person or personality can encapsulate and be the source of and the inspiration for and the model for the way an entire nation of people, entire community of people operates and is in the world. I wonder, though, Joel, if these two ideas, right, of the Messiah and the nation, are not actually as separate as we as we as we might think they are. In the sense that maybe this is really pushing it, <laughs> is that the notion of Messiah as an operating notion, not as a formal idea of an individual who plays the role of Messiah, but can a nation itself be a Messiah? Can a nation be messianic in its character, i.e., can a nation embody that desire for transformation, radical transformation of of the world as it is into the world as it should be. Can we imagine here that the people of Israel who are spoken about as the servant are a messianic nation? And is can there be a way that we can imagine ourselves reading this now as also becoming a nation that is guiding a community of people, a community of believers, people who believe here that captives should be freed from prison and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. Can we engage in the work of of abolition or can we engage in the work of fighting the, the carceral state and find ourselves in the company of a nation that believes in 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 radical transformation as this as this passage is calling us to? I guess the question in some ways is could I, as someone who isn't of the people of Israel, be with the people of Israel, be with the servant that is that is um, that is that is referenced in this passage, uh, to stand alongside and be with and do this work in order to build this world? Fascinating. When when you say things like, "Can a nation also be messianic?" Since it can stand for and try to accomplish messianic ends, I, I mean, I think. That, in a sense, that's rel- that's relatively common. I mean, certainly in 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 my tradition, again, you know, there there is a messianic notion in Judaism uh, of like a, a Messiah that we're awaiting. But there's also in plenty of mess of Jewish traditions, there's a, a notion of trying to bring about the messianic age through our ritual acts, through our uh, moral and ethical ethical acts. That's all. That's all in there. Along with the notion, because Judaism is not a, um, we're not a converty kind of people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're just going to do our thing and everyone will eventually see it and, and, and essentially following the, the model that I was laying out earlier. My initial, like my gut though, when you talk about people who take up on themselves the messianic mantle is uh, I get nervous, right? Because there's lots of people who define an eschatological or messianic reality in ways that, I don't know, for example, involve the uh, drastic and total elimination of my people and your people. That's the messianic world for for plenty of people. So I don't know. I'm a little bit nervous about giving people, giving, you know, communities of believers uh, the sort of the, the messianic uh, thumbs up or, or, or but whatever. Is, uh, but is that the messianic marching orders that are in 
Isaiah 42. Right. And so, and so that, I th- that I think is where, where it turned for me as, right. you were, as you were talking is I was like, oh, but fortunately for us, this is a, an amazingly redemptive messianic vision. I mean, bringing prisoners out from the dungeon, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Right. Uh, I think that's a lot of what, what we might hope for. Although, you know, there's plenty of people who will, whose messianic vision involves just lots of people being in the dungeon. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and, and I think, I think that's where, that's where in, in a way it's, it's interesting that the covenant or the, or the, or the call to, to what is being called to here is a sense of, of, of justice tempered by grace and compassion, a sense of, of, of justice that says that, that, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs forth, who gives breath to the people and life to, this is something life-giving. And that if our call to radical transformation isn't life-giving, doesn't include the least of us in inverted commas and the greatest of us in inverted commas, then it is not the kind of transformative messianic vision that we should be following. And, and, and I find it interesting, like for me, the talk of idols, right, in our texts, right, in, in this particular text and in other texts when when idols are mentioned. I, I really think about all the idolatries of now, right? What are the things that we idolize? What are the things uh, at, at whose altar we actually worship? And then you realize that it is ultimately those fundamental things that we as faithful people contend with, ego and arrogance and, and greed and, 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 and avarice and hatred and racism and misogyny and patriarchy and supremacist language and all of that nasty stuff have themselves become idols. So in a way, I think these the, these verses contain almost a litmus test of their own. If your sense of what this messianic transformative community is does not deal with all of that, all those idols, does not deal with injustice, does not deal with freeing the the, the captive and undermining the systems which which hold people in bondage, then that's not a real messianic community. There's a false, there's, it's a false community. And we should have the, I guess, the, the, the confidence to say that. I, I mean, I would even go maybe a step further, or maybe just to, to 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 deepen what you're saying here. Part of what's at stake here is how we define the word and the concept of justice. Because today, people employ the notion of justice in ways that I think you and I would both find to be more oppressive than redemptive. But it is almost always the case in the Bible that when the word justice is used, it's used not in terms of imposing punishment, but in terms of lifting up the oppressed. And I think it's really fascinating here for it to say, right, the one who brings forth justice to the nations, establishes justice, brings forth justice, is that language of justice surrounds this incredibly gentle language that you, you mentioned earlier, right? The not breaking the bruised reed, not quenching the, the flickering candle. I think there's lots of folks for whom that doesn't sound like justice. It sounds like weakness. But what's what's being given to us here is a vision of an individual messiah, if you like it that way, or in the way that we've been reading it here, community. a community that imposes, or not imposes is, is even maybe too violent a word, upholds justice as a light to the nations that involves, as we said, bringing out the prisoners from the dungeon and also gently caring for those who are struggling. That's the justice that's 
that's that's biblical at, at its core and for it to be given to us here as a as a sort of definition of a, mess, a messianic person a messianic people a messianic age i think is incredibly powerful stuff thanks for listening and thank you professors baden and malik for kicking off the new year with us this week for a transcript of this episode and lots more Bible study resources, visit YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. Our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter verse and season.